Let us open the Word of God now together in the book of James. If you have a Bible with you, the book of James, chapter 2, James chapter 2. The text that we're about to read together is probably one of the greatest messages, one of the greatest texts that has relevance for our day. We live in a day and an age where in this country, Christianity is in many respects well known. And unfortunately, in many respects, not well known. And James, in this letter, as we've been traveling with him has been building a case for faith. And he comes to this point, and this is one of those texts that is certainly at the heart of this letter. As he tells us not to be deceived, but he wants us to know what is the nature of true and saving faith. What is the nature of it? What is the character of it? What does it look like and what does it not look like? And so this is very important. This message and this text does not come from me. It comes from these verses that we're going to read together. And I just pray today that God will open our understanding to understand his word. And that in understanding his word and understanding the gospel and understanding what the gospel calls for. The good news that we preach does not call for you to be a better you. But it calls for repentance and faith. The message that we preach about Jesus is a message that ends with an appeal to every man in this room. Every woman in this room, every boy and every girl to repent and turn away from sin And to believe on Jesus Christ. And if you believe on Jesus Christ from your heart. James is going to say something about that faith. He's been saying something about it. And this morning he continues and gets very pointed. And so let us turn our attention to James chapter 2. Beginning in verse 14. What doth it profit, my brothers? Though a man say he hath faith and have not work. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was, the, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? When she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Holy Father, eternal, invisible, and mortal God, the Almighty, we bow before your great throne of grace now. Lord, we praise you. We worship you today. We thank you today. Thank you for this gathering this morning. Turn our hearts and turn our thoughts to you, the great God of creation. To you, the Redeemer of those who will come by the way of repentance and faith, by trusting in the work of the cross. And God, I pray that everyone in this room today would be affected by the work of Calvary. Oh God, I pray that this morning, if there be one here who is lost, who has not turned in repentance and trusted in faith, that you would come in your great power and spirit and draw and convict and give them the gifts of repentance and faith today. I pray that those of us who have, who have gathered together today, who are recipients of the work of Calvary, that you would strengthen us and teach us the nature of faith that you've given us. Oh God, and help us to live out our faith each and every moment of each and every day for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. There's been many people take this passage upon their lips, many preachers and many titles given to messages and sermons from this text, and many of them are the same. If you look around and you hear preachers preaching on this text, they will very often have the same title. And I thought about it. I was going to be, try to be unique and different. But the more I looked at it and studied and thought about it, I thought, no, that's the title that it needs to have. And this is it. Faith that works. Faith that works. There is a kind of faith that we need to be aware of. There is a kind of faith, a type of faith that we need to be cautious of and we need to be aware of. And most importantly, we need to make sure by the grace of God that we do not have. And there is a kind of faith, a type of faith that we need to have in order to have assurance that we are saved. <laughs> And you can see that this is one of those messages that is very weighty. As we take up the Word of God week after week, there is, it's always important, it's always relevant, and it's always holding in the balance eternal life and eternal death. 
And so as we turn our attention to these verses this morning, let's ask the Lord to touch us and to help us to see exactly what he is saying. The first thing that I want us to notice is the question, the question in verse 14. He gives a question here inspired by God as he writes that helps to open up this idea and the main point for us. He says, what doth it profit or what good is it? (laughs) What good is it this morning? If you have, what good is it, my brothers? And this is, this is significant. He's talking to the people in the church, the gathered church. And he says, what good is it, my brothers? If a man says that he has faith and have not works, can faith save him? And here is the ultimate question that we're asking this morning. And as I look out over the landscape of American Christianity, there is no question probably that needs to be asked more pointedly, more directly, and more seriously than that. The faith that you hold this morning, the faith that you profess this morning, is that a saving faith? Is it a justifying faith? Is it a faith whereby you can feel confident to come before the very throne of God and say, I believe I am accepted? That is a powerful and penetrating question that we must ask. And essentially what he's asking is, the King James is a little ambiguous when he says, can faith save him? Can that faith save him? That's what he's asking. Can that kind of faith, the faith that says, I believe, but has no works. Can that kind of faith save him? The second thing I want us to notice beginning in verse 15 and on to 16 is the scenario. Not only the question that that we have to deal with. But the scenario that helps us to understand it. He says, for example, as he's done before already as we've looked in this wonderful letter. He says, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? And so here we see these bookends, this question, is this kind of faith that is a profession of faith with no works, can it save or what good is it? And then he asks again in verse 16, what, what does it profit? What good is it to say these things, be warmed and filled, God bless you, be on your way, and yet you do not act. There's no works, there's no action or deed being performed. He says, what good is that? And so what we see in the scenario is a desperate need in verse 15. A desperate need. The person is naked and not necessarily totally unclothed, but not adequately clothed. We look around and we see a person on the street in the middle of the winter, or maybe it's raining, or maybe it's very hot, and the person is not adequately clothed for the conditions that they must live in. The conditions that they are in. And we look at that individual and we see that person, and he says, as a brother... Or as we learned last week, as a neighbor, we say to that person, I hope you find your clothes. We see this desperate situation, this desperate need of someone who doesn't have adequate food, he says. 
People that are in poverty. And he's already mentioned over and over again about the need to reach out to those who are destitute and in need. He's already encouraged us over and over again about the nature of faith. He says that faith of our Lord Jesus Christ is not to be done with favoritism. It's not to be expressed with favoritism. In true and saving faith, James says in chapter 1 verse 27 Talking in these, in these terms, pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And so we have the desperate need. And what I see, not only the desperate need in this scenario, but the disgraceful response of verse 16. The disgraceful response. It is, it is a disgrace that he says to him... Be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what good is it? And so the person gives nothing but empty words, words that actually serve as a cover-up for their failure to act. I hope you find clothing, I hope you find food, or maybe even worse, a prayer. (laughs) I pray that God will supply your needs, and yet you do nothing to help the desperate need before you now James is inspired by God Almighty to pick up his pen and write and he says can this kind of workless faith save you is it not like he says a person who sees a desperate need and yet does nothing what good is that And we look around us in our community and probably in this very room this morning. And there are need upon, there is need upon need upon need that that we are called to alleviate. It's true we cannot do everything, but just because you cannot do everything doesn't mean you can't do something. And so it's a disgraceful response To pray that God would supply the need when you have the capability to supply it yourself. Because God uses means to supply his ends. And so very often as we pray that God would supply our needs, how many of us in this room today can testify that it was through a brother, a sister, or a friend in Christ who came and provided that need? It came through for us. And we turned and didn't say, oh, I'm so thankful for you. But we said, I'm thankful for you and I'm thankful that God has supplied my need through your gift. God has given it to them through your means, through my means. What God has blessed us with, he's blessed us to give and he's blessed us to bless others with what he has provided us with whether it be the comfort that he's comforted us with to give to someone who needs comforting whether it be an encouragement that we've received whether it be an admonition from the word of god that we need to receive or the gospel itself how many people today can you say last week you shared the gospel with how many needful people that are dying and going to hell have you opened your mouth in the face of desperate need and given them the truth of the gospel? What good is it to wish someone well if we're not willing 
to act. How about we turn over the book of Matthew and hear from our Lord Jesus for a moment. In Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. Beginning in, well we could begin in verse 41, but I don't want to... uh, We could begin earlier, but I don't want to take the time for that. But we're breaking into Jesus' teaching. And he says this. He's going to to, to separate those on his left and his right. The ones that are on uh, on, on his right are coming into the kingdom. One on his left are not going into the kingdom of God at the judgment. This is what he says, verse 41. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. You need to understand this. Hell is a real place. It is prepared for the devil and his angels. And the Bible says all of the nations that forget God. So if you are a person this morning who comes in this room and you've not submitted the knee to Jesus, you have not submitted your life to Christ and turned away from sin through repentance and trusted in the finished work of the cross, you will hear these words. Depart from me. You cursed into everlasting fire. Verse 42. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in, naked, and you clothed me not. Does this sound like James? Sick and in prison, you visited me not. Then shall they answer and say, answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and a thirst and a stranger and naked and sick and in prison and did not minister unto thee? When did we do that? When did we not do that? Then shall he answer them saying, Verily I say unto you, or truly I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to the one, to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. (laughs) So, James is hearing his his half-brother in the flesh and his Lord and God in the spirit and saying hearing him teach these lessons and he comes with pen in hand and he says, My brothers, my sisters, listen to me. What good is it if you have faith, but you do not have works? So that's the second thing. First, we had the question. Now we have the scenario. And thirdly, I want us to think about the danger of a dead faith. The danger of a dead faith. And you say, well, this is not making me very happy. I don't feel very good right now. Can I encourage you with these words? This is love, my friend. If you were about to take a drink and I knew that inside of that drink was a drop of deadly poison. Let me ask you a question. You love that drink. It's your favorite drink. You're really, you're really thirsty right now and you want that drink. Would it be the loving thing for me to do to let you drink it? Or would it be the loving thing for me to do to say, hey, there's poison in that drink. And if you drink it, you're going to die. Listen to me. The word of God may cut into the deepest recesses of your heart this morning. But it is not cutting you to harm you. It's cutting to help you. Because if you have a faith that is merely profession, it's merely words, you need to be warned. That's not biblical faith. You need to hear. That's not saving faith. And we're going to see that. The danger of a dead faith, beginning in verse 17. He says, even so, faith 
If it has not works, is dead, being alone. It is merely a profession of words. This is the kind, this is the type of faith that I was talking about with you earlier. It is alone. It's in itself, in itself, being alone. And it's dead. It's a dead faith. Now, you're smart. What's the opposite of a dead faith? Could we say a living faith? And if this dead faith is characterized by a lack of works, then how would you characterize living faith? Could we say by your works? Could we say that the living faith of which James is exhorting us to and has been encouraging us to throughout his entire letter is a living faith that is exemplified and made known through our actions in daily life? One important note that I want us to consider here is that James is not putting faith And works in opposite corners. Okay? Be really careful that you don't see that. He's not putting faith in one corner. And works in another corner. And saying now these are two distinct and separate ways. In which people attempt to approach God. (laughs) That's not what he's doing. Now it is true. (laughs) That people attempt through both of those ways. To come to God. But that's not what James is doing. Certainly it is true that many people will say, I am trying, and I use this picture, to climb the ladder of personal performance and work and activity so that I can gain acceptance with God. Certainly people try to do that. And Paul has a word for us there. And he says this, that by the works of the law shall no man be justified. And some people try to say, well, I believe in Jesus, so I've got my ticket and I'm ready to go. And James, (laughs) our precious brother, has a word for that. If your faith is not accompanied by works, you have a dead faith. And it does not justify. It does not save. It's dead, lifeless, merely professing words and it will not stand so number four the fourth thing is this genuine faith is alive and active if we are warned of the dangers of a dead faith we are exhorted on to a faith that is alive and active verses 18 to 19 yea a man may say here's going to use a scenario he's going to use a hypothetical situation Thou hast faith, the individual says to another, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And then he says, you believe that there is one God? Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. What James is trying to do and is doing is to hold up faith and works and show us that they always go together. 
Faith and action are inseparable. If you pull out a coin in your pocket, how many sides does it have? It has two sides. And each side is important. You don't have an authentic quarter if it doesn't have both, both sides. You have, you have something that's false and fake and phony if both sides are not genuinely what they ought to be. And it's the same way with a person's faith. If a person just merely professes with words and doesn't have the other side of that same coin, which is inseparably a life that lives out that faith and good works, then you don't have a genuine faith. In other words, the inward reality of genuine faith becomes visible through works, through deeds, through our everyday actions and lifestyles. And what this is, as we have learned already, what this is, is proof. If I were to ask you this morning, you, you say you're a Christian. You say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I say, okay, what evidence can you bring to the table to prove that you are? What evidence, if you come before the court of law and you say, now, listen, this is who I am. This is what I am. This is, this is my job. This is my family. This is my birth date. And, 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 the, and the, law, the other lawyer comes and he says, well, what evidence do you have to prove these claims that you make? James is simply saying that a person who claims to have faith in God must express that faith on the table with their deeds and their actions and their works. If it is genuine faith, if you are who you say you are, what proof do you have? <laughs> now, this is not to be confused with someone saying that a person can be saved by their works. Listen very carefully. It's not the same to say that a person is being saved because of their performance. But it is proof. It is evidence that there is life. If I go to my, I have a, uh, a little peach tree in my yard. If I go to that peach tree and you're standing there and I say, is that peach tree alive? You say, it looks alive to me. And I'll say, why do you think it's alive? What will you say? Well, there's green leaves on it. And I see these little peaches hanging off the limbs of the tree. Guess what? There's life in that tree. Listen, when a person looks at your life and you say you have faith, what is it? What is the evidence? What is the proof? What is the fruit that you can point to that says, I have spiritual life? <laughs> That's what James is saying. Genuine faith is alive and active. Now, let's turn to the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, this is a powerful, powerful text where a lot of people get confused about what James is saying and they make the terrible assumption that James and the Apostle Paul are not in agreement. But they are. 
And I want you to see it through one of the most powerful texts that talks about salvation by grace alone. Now, here's what I'm going to say. Salvation is by grace. Now, what is grace? It is a gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It is given to you because God in his love and his mercy and his, and his kindness gives it to you as a free gift. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. How do you get this gift? You believe. You trust in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus arose from the grave. Jesus sent forth the gospel, the good news. And he calls you today to turn away from sin and to trust in his work on the cross. And if you do that and call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now I'm going to say this. But grace, through faith, that faith that saves, listen, is never alone. Can you remember that? You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But that faith is never alone. It always is accompanied by works. That's what the Bible teaches. The man on the cross, (laughs) moments before he's going to die next to Jesus, has faith, he has repentance, and he has a confession. He, He rebukes the man on the cross. We're dying because we justly deserve this. This man is innocent. Would you, Jesus, remember me when you get into your kingdom? And Jesus says, you will be with me this day in paradise. Why? He had faith in the work of Jesus Christ. He had repentance. He admitted his sinfulness. He deserved to be on that cross. And he exhibited that faith with his actions and his words. Now, in Ephesians 2, you can quote this, can't you? Verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Look at this verse 9. What does that next phrase say? Read it. Not of works, not of works, not one person will stand before the judgment of God and say, look at what I've done. No one can say that, my friends, no one can say that. The only thing we could do is say on the basis of what Jesus Christ of Nazareth did on that old rugged cross, on the basis of that, I come before you and plead, Father, forgive me, a sinner. But that's not all that Paul says, is it? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? (laughs) Paul and James are not in opposition to one another. They're standing back to back and they are facing different opponents and they're coming at justification from two different angles. Paul is standing here when he writes and says that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith alone. What he's doing is, is he's saying that you cannot climb the ladder of performance and get to heaven. 
And James is standing with his back to Paul's back. And he's facing people who say with mere words, I believe. But there's no fruit on the tree. There's no action in your life that testifies and that grows out of the fertile soil of faith. A life of faithfulness and obedience to Jesus Christ. And so James says to us, merely knowing and verbally acknowledging something that's true about God is good, but it's not necessarily true saving faith. Back to James. Look at verse 19. (laughs) He says, you believe that there's one God, you're doing good. In other words, that's good. But even the demons believe that and tremble at the very thought of the judgment that's coming upon them. Merely intellectually assenting to truth about God is not the same as biblical faith. And so the striking note here to me is that the demons do not submit and live under the authority and the commands of God because they love him. People today can vocalize that they believe in Jesus and James would say that's good. The problem is not with your confession that Jesus is Lord with your words and with your lips. The problem is that if that is as far as it goes, it's a dead and empty faith. And you need to be warned that that dead and empty faith does not justify a person before God. The commentator Douglas Moo, this is what he writes. Listen very carefully. James, in other words, is arguing that the kind of faith he has just described is not merely outwardly inoperative, but inwardly dead. So he's not pointing out so much that your faith is not outwardly working as he is to the reality that it is inwardly dead. Because that's the way faith works from the inside out. Just like the soil and the roots of the tree that brings it up through the trunk into the branches to bear the fruit. That's the way faith is. True and biblical faith is a kind of faith, a type of faith that is the fertile soil from which the fruit of obedience and submission to God grows. That's true. And James wants us to know it. God wants us to know it. Now let me come to a close. The fifth point that I wanted to make, and I will hurry is that he gives two Old Testament evidences for the reality that he's trying to proclaim. He does that through Abraham and through Rahab. And that's striking to me. (laughs) Two different ends of the world socially. A patriarch and a prostitute, and they both exhibit faith. How? By their works. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Exhibited in the reality of the patriarch and the prostitute. There is within the character and the nature of true and saving faith. This fundamental connection between faith and works. And so here's our conclusion. He says in verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead also. And I want to end with the great words of the. The great reformer, Martin Luther, 
And it's even more striking when you read what he said in the first message that I preached here about James, what he said about the book of James. But listen to what he says about faith. It's so spot on. He says this. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good things incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done. But before the question is asked, it, is already, it, it has already done this and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. He gropes and looks around for faith and good works, but knows neither what faith is nor what good works are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. See, it's not our talk that proves our faith. It's our works. But it's not our works that save us. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we come to the end of this particular time together, we thank you today for the gifts of repentance and faith, for the gift of the gospel, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of your word, the gift of preachers and Christians who testify and proclaim and witness to others. Thank you so much that you came by our way and reached down in the mari pit of clay and sin and pulled us out, set our feet on solid rock, established our going, put a song in our heart and a spring in our step and joy in our hearts. Thank you today. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in these few last moments together to genuinely test through prayer the genuineness and the authenticity of our claim to faith. Do we see the handiwork of the gift of grace in our lives through the way we live? Is there an inclination to love you, to submit and joyfully obey your commands? Do we rightfully relate to our neighbor? Or are we constantly and the general orientation of our lives self-centered, self-serving and disconnected, unconcerned with the great need all around us every day? Oh God, help us now. Speak to every heart, speak to every mind, reveal their true state and condition before your throne. That today, if there be one that's not saved, they may step out in faith and act by submitting themselves to your lordship and living in submission to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.